Welcome to Gloss, or the Gorgeous Ladies of Snowboarding and Skiing, an ongoing series between Crude and Blower Media. In this episode, I talk with professional snowboarder Madison Blackley. Madison found her way into snowboarding by way of Volcom's Peanut Butter and Rail Jam competition. Fresh out of high school, she won the competition at Brighton in 2007. From there, she made it to the finals, where she got third place and best trick. It was a formative moment in her career, it put her riding in front of industry people, and it introduced her to other riders who have continued to be part of her life. These free competitions with gear and prize money are few and far between now, making it difficult for many newcomers to enter the sport as aspiring professionals. The elimination of them has bottlenecked the industry into invite-only competitions, where only certain riders are chosen. If this trend continues, then less and less new riders are able to enter the industry. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine. And pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, Aquila Space, and Northern Knives. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Okay, back to Madison Blackley. Madison has an encyclopedic knowledge of women in snowboarding. She collects their stats like baseball cards the spots they've hit, and the tricks they've done. This helps her understand her peers, as well as her place in snowboarding. As a woman, she says that in order for there to be more equity in the sport, the industry needs to stop marginalizing women. For instance, she says that all female videos have the potential to alienate them from the larger culture of snowboarding, rather than allowing them to be part of established projects that feature both men and women. So here she is, Madison Blackley. This red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work. We are on the air. We are on the air. So Brooke Geary told me that you're definitely an East Coast asshole at heart. Oh, that is so funny. She totally would. Um, that's really funny because I'm here on the East Coast now and I'm totally loving it and I feel like I'm fitting right in. But I don't know. I mean, I'm in Maine. They're not really assholes here, but I would have to say that I have majority of my friends are from the East Coast. That's for sure. And what makes someone an East Coast asshole? 
God, I don't know. I mean, I guess just like kind of tell it like it is and don't take any bullshit. If I had to guess, like, I mean, being an East Coast asshole doesn't necessarily mean you're an asshole when you put East Coast in front of it. It's like kind of a, um, I don't know, I guess maybe it's a mindset or something, but I don't know, it seemed to fit right in. <laughs> so it's more like endearing than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's definitely a compliment. And you feel like you're kind of falling into place there. It sounds like you're not from there. No, I'm from Park City, Utah originally. Uh, spent my whole life in Utah. I've done some stints in Oregon, but for the most part, just in Utah my whole life. And my boyfriend is from Maine. So we just kind of decided to get out of Utah for a summer and just have like a nice, nice summer vacation out east. And you were born and raised in Park City, correct? That's correct. Yep. I'm a local. Well, haven't been for about 15 years, but <laughs> kind of. And your your home mountain was Park City or Brighton? Well, my home mountain was Park City. I got my first pass there when I was two years old, started skiing. And then I got my first pass to Brighton. I think I was 14 years old. And so I've had one to Brighton ever since. Um, but really, like, you know, my home mountain is Park City, but I haven't really ridden there for so long because of the whole Vale thing. So I don't really feel like I... Um, I don't know. I don't feel like I can say that. I don't really want to say it's my home mountain anymore. What do you remember about those early days in Brighton and Park City snowboarding? Oh, there was so much more snow than there is now. That's like the first thing I think of. Mm -hmm. But I started at Park City before snowboarders were even allowed. I mean, it was so weird. I remember that was the first year I stepped on a snow, well, stepped on a snowboard on like a run was the first year that they opened for snowboarding. Before that, it was um, the canyons, which was called, I think it was called Park West or Wolf Mountain before then. And they allowed, us, they allowed snowboarding too. Um, so then when Park City opened, you know, I kind of tried that out with the fam. My dad had already snowboarded. My brother was starting too. And I was like, I got to be better than him. So of course <laughs> I was like hey I'm gonna jump on board um but there was there's just like wasn't a whole lot of snowboarders there you know and it was kind of like um where a lot of the snowboard park and freestyle stuff was like starting to become really strong there mm -hmm. so people who were getting into boarding were, were coming to Utah they weren't really from Utah but then Brighton when I started riding at Brighton when I was, you know, teen, preteen, teenager, I mean, there was one year where the whole mountain opened on the day before Halloween with like four feet of pow, like in full park set up from top to bottom. Like I haven't seen that since, you know, and I, it probably will never happen again. Um, but it was like not a lot of girls riding there. There was one girl I would see who was probably like, in high school when I was in junior high or middle school that I would see rip in the park back when the park was underneath the payday chair. And turns out, I think I know who it was. It was someone I found out I'm friends with now. Mm -hmm. um, she, they've got her and her husband have this company called Van Supply Co. 
Oh my God, my dogs are coming to visit me right now. Come on, get out of here, girls. <laughs> get out of here. Go downstairs. I love your toys and all, but you got to go. Um, and she, I didn't meet her until, you know, I was in my late, like 25 or 26 or something through a group of friends. And she was from Park City also like eight years older than me. And she was like, oh yeah, I was ripping Park all through high school. And I'm like, I knew, I know that was you. That's so cool. Like later in life, I can be like, you were like the one snowboard girl that I saw because they're just was like nobody older than me really ripping the park back then. Not that I was in middle school, but at least trying to. And you never wanted to maybe ride up to her and meet her? Oh my God, no, I was so young. Like, <laughs> I was like 12 years old. I'm like so intimidated. Like I had my little crew and we'd go after school boarding, but like, no, I was, there was no way I was just gonna go up to the only girl. I had plenty of people to ride with, so it wasn't like I was alone. So you mentioned your crew, the crew that you grew up snowboarding with. I feel like if you grew up snowboarding, you you usually had a crew that you rode with. How would you describe your crew that you were riding with back then? Oh, well, it's so funny because crews now are like, you know, you film with them all the time and you kind of are you know, grow through your career with your crew. But I feel like for me, it was a little bit like ahead of that, you know, like there wasn't cameras weren't accessible. So everyone was still kind of like just riding together for fun. Mm -hmm. um, but my crew was just like a couple kids from my high school. There was a couple kids from some high schools down in Salt Lake and, and in Ogden. And, you know, I kind of met them on the, on the con, some local rail jams and stuff. And, we would ride and, but not really many of them still snowboard, like not many of them pursued it really, I guess. Like this was also like my element, or sorry, my middle school days and then like early high school. And then like later in high school, I started meeting some other people who I'm, you know, friends with now. And, um, but all, all the people like in Park City that really made, you know, pursued snowboarding into a career that are still riding these days are definitely younger than me. Like, I think it was a different kind of generational thing where my crew was still like, they're all just kind of normal people now, I guess. <laughs> like mm -hmm. they'll snowboard, but none of them really stuck with it like I did. But there are, there's like a bunch of people who I did grow up with. Like there's Bodie. He's a year older than me. Like he grew up in Park City and we knew each other, but we weren't really in the same like crew, I guess he's, he's a few couple years older than me still. I feel like those initial crews that we kind of all grow up snowboarding with are more, you know, they're more part of like the formative areas of your life and the kind of coming of age situation. And, um, they're the people that you meet in school. And then there's this transition that happens. If you stay with snowboarding and you're a little bit more like serious about turning it into a career or something a little bit more permanent, then you get into crews where people are more serious about it and they're kind of parallel to the way that you're pursuing snowboarding. What was maybe the second crew that you grew up with or that you kind of transitioned to? Yeah, that's good. Cause like, like I said, like all the people that I was like boarding with earlier from school, I mean, they were all guys. I mean, I was really like the only girl which maybe me riding with only guys is part of what gave me maybe an East Coast asshole personality. 
<laughs> but then shortly after that, you know, when I was doing competitions and stuff and starting traveling more, I met so many girls, so, so many girls, which most who I am still friends with today. And not all of them, you know, are doing it professionally, but a lot of them, you know, are in photography or in video or maybe this, you know, put them into some other career within action sports now. But I'm trying to think of specific names who I rode with then. Um, there's like, it's funny because I feel like it's my whole entire, it's everyone I still know today. For example, somebody on Instagram, it was Harrison Gordon on Instagram, found the 2007 Peanut Butter Rail Jam Championships like results the other day. Post it and tag me. It was um, Desiree was first. Bryn Vileka was second. I was third. Callie Vanuller was fourth. And oh, I can't remember the fifth girl. And I was like, oh my gosh, I still know all of these people today. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was, I think I was 17 years old when that happened. But like Laura Rogoski, I met her when I was like 20 years old. Um, I would say Laura Rogoski is probably one of the people who has been snowboarding pretty aggressively the entire time since I met her when I was like 20 years old at Mount Hood. Mm -hmm. um, but everyone's still been there. Before you started snowboarding or riding with other women, it sounds like you grew up riding with guys. And yeah. early in the conversation, you mentioned that you had to be better than your brother. Yeah. <laughs> What's the reason behind that? He's just two years older than me. And I don't know. He was always getting into like new hobbies that were kind of maybe considered like difficult or something. And I kind of just wanted to be a dick and wanted to say, even though I'm younger than you and a girl, I also want to do this and I'm going to learn it just as quick as you, you know, with, mm -hmm. with zero experience. But also, I mean, my dad snowboarded growing up and I've all, I always thought it was cool before I even learned how to. Mm -hmm. And we all ski as a family, but I just, I don't know. I really don't know what it is. It's not like we had like a bad relationship or I didn't like him or anything. I just, I just wanted to be better than him. <laughs> you were competitive. Yeah. I mean, I've, yeah, I've always been competitive. That's, I've always been competitive and I have no real reason that I can think of, I guess. When you were getting into snowboarding, when you first got into snowboarding, did you know what kind of snowboarder you wanted to be? Oh yeah. I definitely wanted to be known as like a rail rider. And I'm not really sure why. I mean, I guess that that was just so accessible, you know, and I had always kind of known about rail gardens in Salt Lake City. It was, was just kind of known for that. Mm -hmm. um, and really, it seemed like what I was watching, um, I guess not really the internet, but whatever I saw of girls in like magazines and stuff, they were not riding rails. You know, so there was a couple that stood out that were and those were like kind of who I idolized and that I was like, that's what I want to be kind of like, I know, you know, this photo of uh, Leanne Pelosi board sliding the kink rail with like no snow at all, like on green grass. Mm -hmm. Like that came out and I was like, that is like the most badass thing ever. And I was like, you know, obviously it's like, let's go to the ice skating rink. Let's get some snow and do something stupid. 
but I don't, I don't know. I just, I wanted to be a real rider, but I knew I had a snowboard and I could ride the whole mountain mm-hmm. and park city had an amazing park. Like it was just too easy to not, to not like learn that easier for me. You know, it's a little more forgiving in my mind than learning how to hit big jumps, which park city pretty much only had at the time. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Leanne Pelosi. Was there anyone else you were looking up to as far as professional riders back then? Yeah, like Leanne, um, Hannah Beeman, um, Aaron Comstock at the time, because those were really the girls who were like jibbing, you know, Mm -hmm. not riding half pipe or doing slope style. I mean, they had to. They also did that, but they don't get you don't get the ads and the magazines at the time for that as much so that's not really what i saw of them mm-hmm. um but like tara Dakita's, like um jana mayan i'm like trying to think literally like every pro at the time which like i looked up to i was so deep within like wanting to be a snowboarder back then like that I, all the girls, you know, everyone was just like, who's that girl? And I'd be like, oh, that's that girl. She does this. Like I followed like all of them religiously and I still kind of do now. I feel like I'm always knowing what the girls are doing these days. (laughs) That's so cool. It sounds like you have this, uh, this categorization of, of these, these different women writers as almost like baseball cards. Yeah. You know, this, you know, this writer does this, this writer does this, and you can kind of, uh, recall it like pretty easily that's that sounds exactly right like i'm looking back at it now just started thinking about like some of the awesome movies you know like um rochambeau and i'm like oh yeah i know laura hadar did this rail in this year and she did this trick on it and for markser did this um gap this year like it's so funny even now people will be like oh no one's hit that rail and i'll be like this person hit this rail this year and they did tr- that trick like <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it's, it's not that way with men snowboarding but with women snowboarding i'm just like kind of a i don't know i pay attention and i have like this memory for just odd information that sticks with me before you got into the snowboard industry and you were you were in it you know mm-hmm. um before that when you were just watching all of these riders was your perception of the snowboard industry different than it eventually turned out to be well i mean yes like turned out to be shortly after i got into the industry or you know as of my viewpoint now because the industry is very different then and now Mm -hmm. you know when i was idolizing all these people growing up in the magazines like they were getting paid and this was like a actual career that you could do for them. And then once I was in it, it was kind of this recession that was going on with snowboarding kind of after the Olympics and stuff kind of died down a little bit. And it's like, there was too much money before. And then there's like a lack of money in the middle and now it's getting better. But, um, and I do think it is a, a lot of it is the same, how it did be, how I assumed it was going to be, you know, that being said, if I ever made it in. But, um, I mean, even when I first got into the industry, I was still so starstruck so much of the time, like so starstruck. And now it's, they're just, everyone's just a a person, you know, with a cool, with a cool story. Mm -hmm. But I think it's overall, like from what, how I looked at it, 
in high school to how I'm looking at maybe myself now, I would say I would have thought I was one of those idols in my eyes. You know, if I had seen myself back then, what I am now, I would have been like, wow, like, that's so cool. And that's really all that matters, I guess. <laughs> that's really cool that you're able to recognize that because there are so many people, no matter if they're in snowboarding or whatever, it takes them forever if they ever get there to realize that, that this is what I like hoped and prayed for when I was a kid. Yeah, ex exactly. Exactly. Like, I mean, it's taken me, you know, some time to figure that out, but in recent years, I'm like looking back at some of the things I've been able to do and I'm like, okay, like I've been to Europe so many times. I've been to so many countries. I've been to Japan. I've been, I travel all these amazing places and I don't have to pay for it. I'm like, that is, that is really all I've ever wanted and all I've ever dreamed of. Mm -hmm. So when you think about it like that, it's, it makes, I don't know, it makes a lot more sense to be like, man, I am really living the dream. I might not be, you know, um, buying two houses and having kids like some other people of my age, but that's never what I really wanted anyways. So it's, it's pretty nice. <laughs> You know, what's interesting is when I talk to some of the older, older heads in snowboarding and they talk about kind of this moment when they felt like they really made it. And invariably, it's always when they first got a snowboard, you know, when they first got their free snowboard, because getting free product was, um, it was like everything. Yeah. Whereas now you fast forward to however many years later, or even, you know, last generation or the generation before that, you know, they want a travel budget. They want, they want to, uh, have kind of this rock star life rather than, Hey, we, I just got a snowboard and that's amazing. Yeah. And that was my first, like my, that was my biggest motivation actually to get sponsored was because I was like, man, I don't know how I'm going to be able to afford this. Like I got to be able to get a free snowboard if I'm going to want to keep snowboarding, you know, mm -hmm. like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to like pay for all this stuff. There's no way. And so that was my first motivation to start doing it. And I mean, I, all the snowboards that I had for quite a while was just because that was the prize for a snowboard contest. Mm -hmm. But I do re remember the first time I got a free snowboard from a brand that was a huge deal for me from them specifically being like, we like you, this is going specifically to you. You get to pick what size you want, you know? Um, and that definitely was an amazing feeling, you know, to be like, I'm sponsored <laughs> and have it be legit. <laughs> what do you think was the first point in your snowboard career where you realized that you could do something with it? I think it was that that peanut butter rail jam that in 2007, the one that I just mentioned, mm -hmm. because I had um, just I'd graduated school early that year and I had just I did the one at Brighton and it was just with my homeboys from high school. Like that's who I was hanging out with doing that rail jam. And so then I won that and was able to go to the finals and I didn't know anybody at the finals. Like I drove there alone. I stayed in my car um, and then after getting third and best trick and being like getting like cash, you know, that was the first time I really won any, any cash that was over like a hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh yeah, this is, this can happen. Like 
this is huge. And, and those contests, you know, people would come up from LA to go watch those contests. Like the turnout was always insane. So it made you feel like really special. Could you walk me through that peanut butter rail jam event in your experience? Oh, it was so cool. It's so sad that they don't really have it anymore. But so regionally, there's probably like, you know, 20 stops around the country that Volcom would do. Um, there's three features at every stop. You have a score of 10 on every feature and it's combined score out of all the features. So you have to hit every feature and do the best trick you can. And then if you win that regional stop, you know, you get snowboards, you get prizes, you don't win money, but then you get um, to go to the championship in Mammoth, which happened every year. It was huge. I mean, at the time, I think it was like, $3,000 for girls for first place, you know, maybe like 10, even like up to $10,000 for the guys for first place or something. And they paid out to fifth place and it was like all over the magazines. It was all over the, the TVs, you know, everything like this was like the up and coming rail jam. So if you did well at the championships, like every, almost everybody who did well at the championships or won the championships, like got sponsored and then like started their career. It was the start of so many people's careers. And mm -hmm. the best part about it, it, it was totally free. You could just sign up, you know, which is really hard to find these days, you know, contests that are free and you win cool stuff. Um, they don't really exist as much anymore, but it was so, it was such an amazing contest and, I met so many cool people there and it went on for, I don't know, what, like 15 years, something like that, that, um, that series. And I think they just stopped it like six years ago or something, but yeah, I did those for so long. They were so, they were so great. <laughs> when you think about that competition, maybe versus more recent ones that you've competed in and placed, how would you compare them? Well, the fact that it was just free, you know, makes it so accessible to so many people. And then even if you win, it also like opens up to door to give you another opportunity, you know, and I, there's just not a whole lot of contests to bring people in like that. Like my, I don't know, one of my big things for like contests recently is it's very hard to judge people if you don't have a very good system you know, mm -hmm. and they had a very good system that was the same every stop, the same every year. You kind of knew what to expect going into it. And also, if there's good prizes and good money, girls who are maybe less qualified to be hitting some of those features will sign up because there's awesome reward from it. So these days, you can't really find, first of all, free contests that give awesome reward. So the ones that are free, you don't really find a lot of people doing them because there's really no risk versus reward to want to do that, you know, especially with healthcare these days, you know, I'm not going to go do a rail jam where I'm not going to win any money because what if I get hurt, but give me a rail jam that I can win $5,000. You bet I'm going to huck some shit out there. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's worth it. That'll pay the bill if I win, you know? Yeah. Or there's just no contests that are just registration. Like they're all invite only, you know, they all have these like prerequisites, like for the rev tour and the, you know, you used to be able to sign up for all these things. And now it's, I'm like, how do you even get into these contests? You have to be on a team. And then somehow your coach like talks to somebody and gets you on the list. Like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there was a few that used to happen back in the day. Peanut butter rail jam was one of them. They did the, 
Nikita Chiquita. There was that um, a Billabong flaunt it. You know, that was one of the re- just the registration win money kind of competitions. Like that was super awesome. And mm-hmm. there's really just, I mean, everything's kind of just based on X Games, Olympics, U.S. Open, do tours, all those now. And there's not really any rail other other rail opportunities out there which is weird considering like video parts and rail riding is still so prominent you know it's still there's still a lot of money for that so it's kind of weird that those don't really exist yeah it sounds like what you're saying is that these competitions nowadays compared to what they used to be are much less accessible yeah very much so what do you think that that does to future generations of snowboarders well, it just makes it so it seems more difficult to get in. It's just a barrier entry. You know, if people think that the only way that you can become a professional snowboarder is to be on a team and go to the Olympics, like, or just film a video part, like, that's not true. I mean, with Instagram and how things are going these days, like, you, all you have to do is be a good snowboarder. Mm-hmm. But if you're in an area that you don't know anybody or, you know, you're not going to drive three hours to do a contest alone when you're not going to win anything Mm -hmm. but i don't i don't know i mean it's definitely a barrier to entry for people to give them that push i mean for me personally i do better under pressure and if i see some girl doing something awesome i'll be like man that was really sweet like i wonder if i can do something better Mm -hmm. you know but if you're not riding around people in an opportunity like that why would you push yourself a little harder you know you, you might not but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I wish that there was more access for things like that. Also, because so many of the friends that I've met throughout the years that I now know, I met them at contests because of, you know, they traveled there. And then you see all these these groups of people that are ripping and you never have seen them before. And then you meet them and then you go to every contest together and then you eventually just move in together and those are your friends. Like (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of how it used to work, you know? Yeah. But now it's all your slope style stuff, which is cool, but it's just not the only option. And do you feel like that slope style stuff and even half pipe stuff, you know, the Olympic stuff, do you think that that overshadows maybe the more urban riding or things that, aren't the Olympic stuff? I mean, it depends on who's looking, like what perspective you're looking from. I mean, for an outsider who doesn't snowboard, yeah, that's pretty much, that might be all that they know. But if you are on the inside, whether you're just, you know, a snowboarder as a hobby, I mean, most, if you look on most brands, teams on their rosters, I mean, it's probably 50%, if not more people are urban riders or I call them film boarders, but yeah, who film and are riding street. I mean, that's not like there's more prominent snowboarders or there's, you know, it's not like there's more people in snowboarding doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely, I, I don't know. I mean, from the inside, it's pretty even, but looking from the outside, you might not know that streetboarding is as large or as cool or difficult as maybe it is. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that also, I don't know, it's strange because there's so many like um, Olympic snowboarders or half pipe riders or people who are on that world circuit who just are really good riders and they don't even have any sponsors at all, which I think is really strange. 
And that kind of gets back to our original questions about the crews that we grew up with. And you had mentioned that, you know, you have people that you originally ride with and those people don't stop being good. You know, they just, they just stop pursuing snowboarding in a serious way. I mean, how many people do you see that, you know, from back in the day at Brighton, when you go back home and you're just like, man, they, they still rule. Oh yeah. Most of them. All, yeah. Most of them that I, that if I still see them boarding, they're just as good of a boarder. They might not be doing the single barrel down bar, but you know, they're still jumping off a 40 foot cliff. And it's funny too, because since Woodward opened in Utah and it's so accessible and it's so affordable, like I am seeing people coming out of the woodwork that haven't I haven't seen in 10 years snowboarding and now they're just going every day because finally they can justify, you know, spending a hundred dollars a month to go board instead of justifying as a, you know, 30 something year old, a $900 season pass. Mm -hmm. So I feel like they're coming back. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll get it. Maybe they'll get it all back for right where they left off, but they're still just as good. You know, I know that you weren't riding in the really early days of snowboarding, but considering your experience and what you've heard about that time, because it sounds like you were very perceptive. You were you were paying attention to all of these um, these women in the industry who were older than you and ahead of you. How do you think being a female pro snowboarder nowadays is different than it was back then? It's definitely more challenging um because there's so many good people like there's so many good riders out there nowadays and with the access of the internet and social media it's really hard to not decide who's good or not you know but how do you how does people support one person over the other person you mm -hmm. know when there's so many people that are in it that are so deserving of it but i feel like the actual act of being a professional snowboarder now versus then is probably still the same. You know, you still travel, you still do a contest, you still go party all night. Now you just see a little bit more of it on the internet. But... <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't always a good thing. Which isn't always a good thing, you know, and listening to some other people talk about stuff like this, like, you know, those were idols to people because they didn't know so much about them. They knew their snowboarding and they knew what was being portrayed to them by their brands. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, people, you feel like you really know people on the internet, even though you've never met them before. So it's kind of like takes away that idol, idleness. What's the word? Um, they're just, they seem more as peers yeah. now than like a superstar. Yeah. Um, I actually wanted to, I've remembered like the longest person I've known in snowboarding right now. <laughs> so it's a good one. You're going to like this. It's when I went, when I was 14 years old, I went to Camp of Champions and Dara Reed McLean was in my group and she's like one of my favorite people to snowboard with nowadays. And mm -hmm. I was, I think it's so funny that we went to summer camp at 14 years old. She's the only person from summer camp that I remember and is still going today. And we are like, we're great friends now. It's hilarious. Isn't that interesting how that happens? Um, 
when you kind of look back on your past as as a snowboarder and you see the situations and the moments that you were lucky to be a part of and you're able to pick out like oh that person was there and that person was there and that person was there yeah and and you're like oh they're still doing it or maybe you're following them on social media and they're doing something else cool now and um i don't know it's such a cool thing it, it like i said i think it it's it's one of those situations where as you get older and you look back, you feel kind of privileged and proud to be a part of. Absolutely. I feel very privileged and proud to be a part of this industry. I can't imagine me doing something else. Like, I don't know. Some people are like, when are you going to get a real job? And you're like, tell me how much you like your real job <laughs> first. <laughs> you know, I'm like, they're like, oh, you're so lucky to be you know, traveling and doing other stuff. And I'm like, I am, I really am so lucky. And that's definitely a choice I made. You know, I passed on a lot of things that I probably could have been doing right now, but I think that what I'm doing is better, you know, mm -hmm. like, no, I'm not living in my dream house and, you know, get a hundred grand a year for whatever stupid day job I'm working. I'm pretty much broke all the time, but I mean, I'm doing exactly what I love and I can't see myself doing anything else. Well, and that's priceless because yeah. there are people who are doing something that they absolutely dislike and they're working their asses off at it. Oh yeah. For not much in return. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, do you feel like snowboarding is better today because of people like you and the other women that you grew up with snowboarding and even the ones that you were looking up to because you had just mentioned that, um, you know, friends are like, when are you going to get a real job? And you could have just as easily decided against it. You know, you could have gone to school for something else or, you know, got into a different career, but you stuck it out. And because of that, the snowboard industry is different. Yeah. Than it would have been otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I really, I like to think that I've had an impact on the snowboard industry as a whole. I'm sure I, I'm sure I have. I mean, if I didn't make some sort of impact, I probably wouldn't still be here doing what I am today. You know, mm -hmm. people hear your name and think that that's cool. And if I've inspired a bunch of people to snowboard and, and change their lives and drop what they're doing to follow their dreams, you know, that's, I, I, I believe that that's happened, you know, and that's, I think that snowboarding is a better place from not obviously not only me, but everyone who has stuck through this and been a part of it. I mean, the whole goal of, snowboarding and obviously isn't just to bring personal joy to myself but I would like to have it inspire other people and if that means this industry is now saturated because everyone learned to love snowboarding then that's a great reason <laughs> mm -hmm. you know nobody none of us got here just because we honestly liked to strap in for our personal selves and you know never watched other people snowboard or never you know read the magazines we we're doing it for other people so that's that's the purpose of my snowboarding really now like mm -hmm. i want to get a photo not just to show people that like look what i can do but it's like man i hope somebody's like this is so cool i want to learn how to do that like that's that's would be a great goal i mean it is my goal but for great be a great goal if that was everybody's goal yeah i think that's a really great outlook because there is um you know there's this perception in certain areas of snowboarding that all believe that, you know, it was better when you hated us. Yeah. 
And, and I think that to a certain extent, we can all agree with that. But I think overall, when you have more people doing something, you, you get more money in it, you get more equity, you get more eyes on it, and it becomes something a little bit more than just the few people who are core. Yeah, and it's funny you say that too, because I mean, skiers are still obviously always going to hate snowboarders. So people still hate us. You know, there's a lot of people that hate us. So it's not like the hate isn't there. Yeah. You know, still so funny to just go and spray skiers on the way down the run. It's not like that's ever going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we just have a lot more places to do that now. A lot more open runs that allow snowboarders. And <laughs> hopefully we still keep getting snow. But yeah, the 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 hate in that sense will always be there. So there's no reason to even use that as an excuse now. <laughs> Have you heard any stories from back in the day involving women in snowboarding that surprised you or even shocked you? I mean, yeah, there's a million times where I've done a contest and, you know, I get paid 10% of what the guys get paid for doing exactly the same shit. I mean, but that happens. That's not like a specific story. I mean, that's just like kind of a consistent story that's been going on for years and years and years. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's kind of hard to pinpoint. I guess there's not a specific story that like stands out to me that I can think of. I know that there is something deep down, but it's probably been a minute. <laughs> you know what I... I'm interpreting from that is that it's so pervasive or it was so pervasive that it was everything. So maybe there is not one specific story. It's embedded within things like, oh yeah, you get 10% of what the dudes get, or, you know, you get a quarter of the travel budget or, and, and, and it's just, it's just across the board. Yeah, absolutely. And like, Again, that kind of lines up well with what I was saying about the contests, you know, like if there's always money for guys, obviously a lot of guys show up. And then when there's no money for girls, no guys, no girls are going to show up. And then the people say, well, why would we have a girls division when no girls are going to show up? And I'm like, well, if you offer money in a girls division, I promise you they will be there. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of like a deeply rooted thing that people say there's not enough girls in the industry to be included in things when obviously there is, but that is definitely changing significantly now. And, and has been the past couple of years, I've seen huge steps forward to resolve some of those imbalances mm-hmm. um, as far as like gender goes. But I mean, then there's, I guess there's this one funny story. That's like, there was a um, reality TV show that was being filmed in park city a long time ago. And I knew some people that were on it. I was still pretty young, though. But they filmed the whole TV show. Like, it was like 12 weeks or something in Park City. And they ended up, after the whole thing was said and done, they ended up not airing any of it because it wasn't really as crazy as they thought. It was just, like, people getting up and, like, going snowboarding and then, like, coming home and hanging and then like going snowboarding like it wasn't this like big dramatic mm-hmm. thing that they like thought snowboarders were gonna do for like 12 weeks you know yeah like if you want to be a professional snowboarder like you really can't party seven days a week you know <laughs> like, yeah. and all these people were actually there to like snowboard 
Um, so I guess that's kind of equity, but like on a grander scale of like, you know, representation within the media, like again with, you know, it was cooler when people hated you, like they didn't really give them anything to hate. So <laughs> they decide it wasn't even worthwhile. It wasn't sensational enough. Yeah, exactly. There's this Q and a on the Rome website with you and in it, you say that you look to a lot of backcountry riders for inspiration because you respect the idea of only getting one chance at a run. Why do you think that concept of one run appeals to you? Yeah, let's like, I mean, it works with backcountry and um, comp, like competition riders, like slope style, because it just, I've always like kind of said this to myself. Um, you have done a trick or you can do that trick. I've always taken pride if somebody says, here, you need to go do this now, being like, okay, I can do that, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's really a quality that you have to have when riding in the backcountry or riding in contests. You have to be able to turn it on and, and do it when it matters, you know? And that that's a really d- difficult thing to do for a lot of people. Consistency with, you know, a broad range of, things on your board is not easy to learn. It takes, takes a long time. And they say you have to do something 10,000 times before you're an expert at it. And in my mind, I see that as you have to do something 10,000 times until you can land it every single time. So it's not like anybody can just go and hit a 70 foot backcountry jump or a 70 foot jump in the park. I mean, it takes practice and you have to be good at what you're doing. And it's not necessarily the same as like riding in the streets and riding handrails. Like there's a lot of amazing parts that have come out over the years and you don't really get to see what went into it. So you don't get to see that for them to do that one trick took them 100 tries, Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously it's a little different in the street, you know, it's conditions are different and you didn't build the rail. You didn't set the rail, you know, you've got to find speed, however, however possible, but, I mean, you can tell some of the people who have really excelled in that aspect of filming, too, is because they go to a, sh- a spot and they get it done right away, you know? But that isn't really an option in the backcountry or in slope style. You don't really have to say, like, hey, I'm just going to, like, practice this jump a few times, you know, warm up, and then I'm going to land the trick. It doesn't really work like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I really respect people who can turn on and get it done when it matters. Like it's, that's a very difficult thing to do. And I think that's what makes certain people stand out. Do you feel like you've always been like that? Or is that something that once you, you got better at snowboarding and you started realizing like, Oh wow, this, this takes skill and this takes practice. Um, maybe both, maybe both. I mean, everything I do in my life, I kind of wanted to do the best, even if it's something absolutely not worth doing great um but i mean it's something that i want you want to do good and you want to do it every time but then you realize how difficult that is going to be once you start doing it so there's certain Mm -hmm. things that are there's certain things i've been wanting to do forever and i know i could if i wanted to like there's a couple tricks that i just i don't do you know and i don't know why i don't do them i never really took the time to practice them and now like I could learn them if I wanted to, but if I can't do it every time, I just don't see the point of even learning it. Like, <laughs> especially now since I'm a little bit older. What are those tricks? Switch front lip, switch front 50. Those things just, I don't know. I never, 
I've never done one successfully. And I know that, you know, if push came to shove and my life was on the line, I know I could do it, but there's so many other things out there that I would, I know I can do every time. And I would just rather do any of those tricks before that other one. I mean, there's like some jump stuff too that I'm like, oh man, I wish I learned that, but just working with what I got now, <laughs> working with the strengths. I feel like a switch backside 50 is way harder than a switch frontside. Oh no, because switch frontside, that's what, that's how you really taco. And that's what happened. That's what's, what's happened to me. And I've never really learned how to not do that. Switch backside, you slip off and you just like hit your butt. It's fine. Dang. You know what? I think that we, we are drawn to those opposite tricks for the same exact reason. Like I don't mind hitting my stomach. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I mean, to each their own. I don't know. That sounds pretty horrible to me, but <laughs> maybe that's like the like womanly instinct in me to like save my body, you know? <laughs> like, it might be. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Tacos are just, I do everything within my power to not have a taco. <laughs> <laughs> what can you tell me about winning Kings and Queens, <clears throat> excuse me, what what can you tell me about winning Kings and Queens of Corbett's last year? Oh, that was like just an incredible, like euphoric feeling, like mm -hmm. doing something that I've always loved to do and never, ever been in the spotlight because, you know, I'm a jibber, right? Like, <laughs> so I'm just like even speechless now like I'm just like I don't even know how to explain that that was just the craziest feeling ever like even being invited to that competition was just like wow I can't even believe that someone believes that I am capable of this and I knew that I was capable of it but I've never known that other people thought the same way so getting there and again you know going to a contest and meeting all this these new groups of people that I haven't really associated with before and everyone's just like, yeah, you got this, you got this, you know, it's really encouraging and mm -hmm. um, makes you, gives you that confidence to be like, yeah, I got that. And I totally thrive off of that too. And, you know, it's just that, that thing is so crazy. It's really anybody's game once you're in there. But like I said before, I do good and I do good under pressure and I kind of like to get in the zone. Mm -hmm. And I was real, I was really in the zone that day, but it totally afterwards that was like the first i mean that's the first major competition i've really ever won in my life and that was the first time i've ever felt like not that like i can be a pro snowboarder because i've i've been one and i've i've had that feeling before but i was like oh there's no reason for me to ever stop pursuing being a pro snowboarder mm -hmm. you know there was no thought after that i was like there's no way I'm going to be like, yeah, maybe I'll just like, you know, try and chill out over the next couple of years or, you know, try and start seeking other opportunities. I was like, why, why would I do that? I'm killing it. Like, this is great. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really appreciating how you talk about snowboarding and I feel like it keeps getting back to, um, that baseball card analogy <laughs> where no matter how long you're in snowboarding, no matter how, you know, much these things become familiar to you you always allow like that magic to still exist you're always still enamored with 
you know, being in these competitions and being around these people and being a part of this culture. Yeah. And this is a whole new culture that I'm a part of because of this, you know, I've definitely, when I was younger, I did a bunch of slope style contests. I did really well in all of them. And then the Olympics happened and it kind of, you know, put that on the back burner and then jibbing. And I've always done that. I've always filmed video parts and I've done very well in that for myself. You know, I've never been on top, but I've been, you know, in, in the top for quite a while. And I'm like, how do you keep being on the top of those things? You know, you got to keep finding things that are like challenging you and like keeping you excited and now this is like a whole nother page for me that I've you know barely stepped into really in the spotlight Mm -hmm. and it's a whole new group of people so it's like it just like feels like a whole new industry you know because I mean for a while I was like okay like how many video parts am I gonna film like do I need to get nominated is this important like there's so many good girls coming up like do I even try and compete with them or do I just keep, you know, looking for what challenges me and trying to be the best border I can be? And the next natural step was, okay, let's let's get this backcountry thing going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I've snowboarded. I've done a bunch of like backcountry and jumps in the past, but it's always been with my friends who jib, which is a little different than being like, hey, Hana, Beeman shall we go sledding and build a jump like that's kind of on a different <laughs> level like um yeah so it's it's a whole new world and it's something i'm you know unfamiliar with but also feel confident about at the same time like it's just it's exciting and i'm so happy to be able to snowboard and just like jumping into corbett's who gets to do that like nobody ever gets to do that that's so cool <laughs> When you're thinking about what next step or next steps to take, do you look to anyone for for guidance or do you kind of um, decide it on your own? I decided on my own. I don't really know. I even even now, I still don't really know like how to take the next step in anything. I feel like in the past, I've just snowboarded all winter worked all summer and then the season's coming up for next winter and i'm like panic mode and i'm like what am i doing what am i doing and i'm just like ah, i just start snowboarding and then something kind of starts to work out Mm -hmm. but i don't really say that i plan my next step it's kind of just opportunities that maybe arise and i jump on or just keep snowboarding and somebody jumps on me as an opportunity um i i think i'm very bad at planning my next step actually (laughs) it's probably my i probably could have done some other cool stuff had i been a little better at that (laughs) and how or where does the uninvited and the uninvited two an all-girls snowboard film fit into that mix well it's like it's weird because i filmed so much with too hard in the past and i also have filmed with um and aaron's ps webisode series and I filmed for a lot of female projects in the past for uh, Leanne Pelosi's Visionaries. I was in some of that as well. Mm-hmm. So, and especially with, with too hard. Um, I mean, they've always, they've always been there. They really always have been there and they've always been highlighting people. But the problem is, is that in the past they highlighted like, 
you know, it's like there's a set cast almost. Like this is the crew and this is who's a part of it. And, you know, if you're there, you're there and you can get a clip and it's high quality, you're good. But if not, you know, you're still kind of on your own as far as like the filming and the budget. And mm-hmm. the uninvited, like just definitely put her hand out and um like monetarily sponsored certain people of her own from her own budget, which is the difference. You know, that's definitely like a big step to show like well if nobody else is doing it i'm gonna do it and she did that and yeah like actually called around and found filmers in people's areas to say hey i know this girl and she wants to go film like you need to go film her like nobody else does that you know because in a lot of the other projects with you know big name writers you have like the filmer like yeah. the pro filmer. And if you're not with that guy, then it's not going to make the cut. Um, so she definitely like opened it up to a lot of other people by having basically an open, open call. Like if you have clips, send them over and they are going to get used, which now with iPhones and stuff, like she takes iPhone clips, you know, if it's mm-hmm. good, she'll take that. Like that's never been done before. So it makes it this like, again, like a barrier to entry in that sense has now just been broken down. Mm-hmm. and it can give these people this platform especially with how big like youtube is right now like that was not there before have you noticed a difference between filming with a crew with um maybe a mixture of men and women and the difference between filming with a crew of strictly women well i've never actually filmed with a crew of all dudes that are like pro guys like the guys that i film with are just like writing because they love writing they don't really like have sponsors or anything Mm -hmm. um and i find a difference really just in not has nothing to do with gender it's just really ability Mm. you know like you see people doing all these amazing tricks and all these amazing rails and you're starting to get into filming street and there's a lot of girls who just don't know how to do it you know so if you're going out with like your crew that you've been filming with for a while like it's pretty easy you guys know the drill there's like etiquette you know don't do the same trick with your friend like if you do the same trick just know that like it's not going to get used and um or whatever use it i don't really give a shit to be honest but (laughs) like if it makes if it brings you joy just use the clip whatever yeah like if you were really stoked you know who cares and and then there's a lot of you know girls who i love writing with them and you know bringing them out to a a spot to get some footage is, is different because it's like so much of it is mental. You know, you start thinking of consequences. You don't really know how to build a lip. You're not really sure about the speed. Like that is like the biggest difference that I've noticed is just there's girls who've been doing it. And then there's girls who are really good in the park and have never actually done the street thing. And it's a huge, huge difference. Like I would rather go out with somebody who's, hit spots for a few season and maybe doesn't necessarily have the trick ability there, but it's going to be a bet. It's going to be a way better experience for me. <laughs> like, like as much as I want to be there for everybody, sometimes it's just takes too long and I'm not really willing to sit there for eight hours, I guess. <laughs> well, for sure. And I think that that there's energy there, right? Like, so if, if somebody is at or a whole crew or whoever is hitting, um, you know, a rail or a jump, if they're at the same 
level, then then their energy is probably matched. And even that kind of friendly competitiveness is also matched rather than um, kind of like taking your younger sibling to a party. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're not going to match your energy. That's exact. That's a, a perfect way to say it. Like taking your younger sibling to a party, like love hanging out with them at home. You know what I mean? But like, you're probably going to get wasted and puke all over this person's house. Like, <laughs> <laughs> instead of just having a couple beers and like having a good time. Like, <laughs> and this doesn't, that doesn't happen all the time. It's just, there is a lot of really amazing writers in Salt Lake City who all have you know they can all do it but i don't necessarily want to be the one with them unfortunately as it is to say i'm you know done it enough (laughs) yeah have you been involved in any of the conversations surrounding like the intention of these all women videos um i not really. I guess I've seen them from the outside, but I, I haven't really been involved in it. And I think it's great, but I don't necessarily think that it... The, pro- the problem with the, the all-women videos is it means that there's no room for them anywhere else. You know, that means that they're doing that out of necessity to be recognized. And they're awesome and they're great. And I think that they should be there, but I don't think that an all women's project should be the only opportunity that women should have. You know, there's no reason that you shouldn't have a clip in another men's movie just because you're already filming for the women's project. Do you think that these videos exclude women from those videos? Like the men's videos? Yeah. Absolutely. Really? 100%. I've never been in a men's video. I mean, I've had been nominated for video of the part, you know, video part of the year. And I'm like, I've still never been offered to be in a men's video. I've literally only filmed for women's projects. And I've never had an opportunity to film in a men's video either. Have you reached out to film in a men's video? Well, that's what it gets kind of weird. Like, do you reach out to your brand who, you know, isn't supporting that project or maybe hardly supports you? <laughs> like, Okay. And... I mean, the girls that get into the men's projects, it's probably because they're just closer friends and I think, and they just swoop them up, but they know they can't swoop up five girls for their project or they're afraid to swoop up five girls for their project because they're afraid it's going to slow them down. Maybe I'm not really sure. Um, I think that that's definitely a really conversation that needs to have, and it has nothing to do with women. I think it's a conversation that needs to be had on the men's side about, you know, how do you go about um including women within your snowboard projects Mm -hmm. i don't know if that's really ever been asked before yeah i think that's a really interesting conversation because it's like in a lot of those videos you know there's the token one two or maybe three women in that video three if they're lucky like the vans um listen to the eyes came out you know four years ago or something and Mary Rand was in that and she was like new those kind of like her first like real part with Vans and then it was Leanne and Hannah which had been on Vans for years and then the last part that Mary Rand did was with um, Rendered Useless which was um, like a men's movie you know and so and so then she had that amazing part you know what I mean like one of these awards like it was so awesome and then the next part that she's working on is 
Vans puts out two movies a year and then they give them the girls one month to film an all powder movie like but we gave you your own project it's like well it's still well you could have just included us in the men's project considering those are all incredibly huge names <laughs> mm-hmm. and they can all totally hang with the guys so I'm just like and I don't know maybe maybe people think that people like to see women's projects only like it's definitely easier for the girls to talk to each other and say like let's do this project but I don't I'm not when I do that I'm not definitely not trying to like exclude men I would love it if guys would join me and snowboard on a project I think that'd be amazing mm-hmm. maybe it's like the guys feel weird about it I don't know like when you say a women's project it kind of I mean when I say it what I I feel like it sounds like inferior versus a project starring all women Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, you know, or you could just have a project with two women and two men, but you don't call that a co-ed project. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> that just seems weird. Like, so I don't know the whole like women's project is kind of weird. I think it's great to have a project with all women, but I think that when people phrase it that way, it kind of makes it seem like men can't get involved either. No, totally. I, I, I always try to think about how, we will look at things like this like 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And in my mind, I would see this, especially the way that you're describing it, which I actually, I completely agree with. Um, and it's almost like a form of like segregation, but it's, it's asking you to be happy about it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I see that like, but you should be happy. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I mean, yeah, like I would love to like win video part of the year in a in a movie, just a big movie, like an absinthe movie or like just to name a huge brand, you know, a huge film company like absinthe movies like how, how. Oh, yeah. And so last year, I mean, they had women in their movie, but all the women they had in their movie, their footage was already used in other women's movies. So they just like took the footage, like Ilfa was in it. Um, I think like Alexis Roland was maybe in it and Maria Thompson was in it, but it was all like the footage that had already been used in other projects. So they were just contributing. They didn't actually like welcome them in and like film them. Mm-hmm. So I was like, good try, but I think that we can do better. <laughs> How do you think we do better? <sighs> I mean, it's, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Cause the whole, like, it's weird too, because the whole project thing now is like, there used to be buy-ins, you know what I mean? And a company would buy people in and they'd always put like the one girl in. And now it's like, I feel like it's hard to even get the one girl in because there's so many just women's projects, mm-hmm. but you just kind of got to be friends with them. And I think that really it's just, I don't think it has to do with brands. You know, I don't think that has to do with the industry. I think it is still just individual mentalities from people, um, not standing up for women in a group circle. You know, if 10 dudes are getting together and they're like, Hey, we're all homies. Like, let's make a video. Like, I don't think one person's raising their hand and saying, but what if we have three girls? Because maybe they're afraid of the backlash. I'm not really sure, but I don't know. I mean, you're going to have to ask some guys about that, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I think maybe, sorry, I was, I was thinking, um, I think maybe 
the answer lies in allowing and accepting women in higher positions in snowboarding and allowing them to be people who make these decisions. And when that happens, probably true equality can be, can it be at least progressed toward maybe not achieved immediately, but when people are excluded from things, then they're eventually just given their own lane. Right. And right. and you can, you can go over there and do your thing. We're doing our thing over here right. as opposed to being like, come be a part of what we're doing. Absolutely. That's very, very well put there. And I mean, all this stuff, it's not like, you know, I, I'm not saying like I'm getting screwed over here. This is just like, you know, general statement of, I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of women think this way, but it's, you know, the women's projects, they are great opportunities, but they are definitely not the best opportunities that could be presented to them. You know, but it does take time to have women in those, you know, leadership roles that are a little higher up that do have those, um, the power. And, you know, some of them are getting there. There's, I feel like there are a lot of women who are stepping into those roles as of recently, who are definitely trying to make some better changes in the industry. And that, that takes years. I mean, this isn't even within snowboarding. This is within America as a whole has this issue, you know, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is getting, you know, there's a lot of sports and a lot of people who have it much, much worse off than us snowboarders. You know, this is definitely a first world issue. <laughs> like, man, my life sucks. I get to travel and I can't film with men. Like, <laughs> It could be worse. <laughs> I actually love that you said that because when I was snowboarding, one of the main reasons that I got out of snowboarding was because I had this like crisis of conscience where I, I kept thinking like, gosh, this is all so selfish yeah. and I want to get into something where I can help people. Um, and I think I was like 17 at that point and I'd been snowboarding since like, I've been snowboarding since I was like five years old, yeah. but been like traveling and stuff since I was about 10 or 11. Um, and so I'd been doing it for a while to the point where I'm like, all right, like I get it. Need some more meaning in your life. Yeah. I mean, and that's just me, but, but hearing you say that, um, it's really encouraging to hear that you're of the same mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, definitely have that internal battle with myself. Like, oh my gosh, like what else can I do to be, have a better purpose on this world besides, you know, just strapping in and spending like using emissions to a incredibly dying sport <laughs> like like it's not gonna be around like for as long as we all want it to and it's so sad but i've recently um like done some schooling on sustainable business within the outdoor industry to try and at least you know i don't want to stop snowboarding ever i'm gonna snowboard forever but at least i'd like to make the least impact possible on this earth that I am contributing to destroying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, there's some, there's some meaning in that and some purpose in that, but yeah, it's definitely, if you're not snowboarding cause you don't want to snowboard or I mean, if you're not snowboarding because yeah, if you don't want to snowboard because you're not getting paid or you're not getting 
you know, the praise that you want, or you're not doing well on social media, or you're not filming with the right people, you're not snowboarding for the right reasons then. And I feel like I'm snowboarding for the right reasons, like, cause I want to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you see yourself staying in snowboarding as a rider or maybe getting into the marketing and management of things or moving into something else entirely different? Um, I see myself as a rider for as long as I can, but also I would like to do something different, definitely within snowboarding or maybe the environment or just the outdoor industry in general. But I don't know if I would really like to go into like the marketing side of it. I don't know. That just seems that's not for me. And like I said, it's a, a dying sport and I don't think just dying in the in the sense of climate change. Mm -hmm. Let me clarify there. Um, I just feel like I could probably contribute so much more in some other aspect. You know, like I think it'd be cool to be in research and development, you know, or maybe work for a mountain on how you can get more sustainable um, energy to help do it or I, I, I'm not sure yet because I haven't even really crossed that line in my head about the next step. I just want to snowboard. <laughs> but mm -hmm. obviously, I'm probably not going to be able to snowboard professionally forever. I mean, times are changing. There are many women and snowboarders who are aging who are still in the spotlight because they're killing it, you know? Lots of people. I mean, all the for the most part, I would say like half of the pros from when I was growing up are still pros today. So I don't necessarily think that the reason I would be stopping would be age. You know, I've been very lucky with my body and health my whole career. Um, but, you know, anything can happen. You know, if something happens and I'm not able to snowboard, I will definitely still be within the snowboard industry. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. What do you think young Madison would think about where adult Madison is right now? Oh, my God. Young Madison would be so hyped <laughs> young madison would be so hyped i honestly don't even feel like a different person than like from when i'm 15 years old like i feel like i snowboard the same i feel like i party the same you know what i mean i still like feel like i got good friends i want all the things that i wanted then i either am doing or still want now like I'm pretty stoked on the person I became and young Madison would be so hyped. If I hung out with myself, I'd be going to school the next day, telling everyone how cool I was. That's <laughs> I'd like to think. That's awesome. <laughs> that does it for my question, Madison. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, this was an awesome conversation. I love it. It's so, it was so not the, um, not the typical questions, which was, which was really nice. It was, not like a script. <laughs> you can support local grassroots journalism at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats. <laughs>